When social media came out, I thought it was such a gift. What you see on screen, it's made up, it's well lit. It's literally someone else's words that you are saying. And it's so nice to be able to just speak your own damn words. Welcome to the National Podcast of Texas. This week, our sponsor is Texas A&M University. Everything's bigger in Texas, including our ability to inspire positive change. What started as a simple gesture by Texas A&M Gavelston students to save a sea turtle's life ignited a national movement to phase out plastic straws. Learn more at fearlessfront.com. I'm Andy Langer. In 2010, Brooklyn Decker was on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. It changed her life, but define her by it now at your own peril. Or maybe do, and buckle in for a surprise. If you're going in clean, here's the thumbnail. She's a star of Netflix's Grace and Frankie, alongside Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. And recently, she received the Austin Film Society's Rising Star Award. She's also the co-founder of Finery, a wardrobe operating system that tracks clothing purchases and suggests outfits. She's married to tennis champ and longtime Austinite Andy Roddick, and they have two children together. Our time together went nothing like I thought it would, in all the right ways. This is Brooklyn Decker. Welcome. So, I don't know, I guess 2011? 2011 or so. I'm working at Esquire, and I remember being in the office that day when the photos came back from your sexiest woman alive shoot. Mm -hmm. And typically in those situations, a bunch of people would gather in the art director's office. Right. You look at it through a little, you know, the, the contact sheets. And I vividly remember you picking your nose. Yeah, my finger in my nose. That was a good one. I was so happy they published that photo. That's it's a defining photo for you, <laughs> A. <laughs> it is. It is, yes. But B, it says who you are. It's very me. That photo is very me. And I was I was really happy that sort of in the face of like sexiest whatever, they would put a picture to open the story of, yeah, me with my finger up my nose. It was, I was so happy they used it. I was so happy they used it. Do you remember how that happened? Yeah. Do you remember saying, I think it'd be funny if? Well, I just did it because <laughs> I was probably trying to get a laugh on set, not ever thinking that for this particular issue they would right. actually use that photo. And I knew the photographer, Yusai, shot that, and we were just playing around, and he would do a series where, and Esquire, I think, was doing the series. I don't know if it was every issue or just that issue, but they were doing it where they would have a page, and it was almost like old Polaroids. There would be, you know, 12 little images of different faces. And so I picked my nose, for one, never thinking it would actually make it to the page, and I was so thrilled when it did and it's funny I remember I had a, a, publicist, at the, a publicist at the time and, and, and he said to me oh my god are you okay I, I, can't, believe they I can't believe they published this like what, what do you think I'm so sorry your fingers in your nose I'm like this is the best picture I have ever taken like this is as good <laughs> as it's gonna get you know I was, I was really happy about it yeah correct me if I'm wrong because it's just a theory but a pretty large percentage of your career is about correcting the record of the first part of your career <laughs> or changing the expectations that come with that first part of the career getting deep it, is it's that true. right it is it's funny i i certainly do not want to bite the hand that fed me because modeling is what created an incredible amount of opportunities for me 
and gave me a career at the age of 18 and, you know, opened the doors in more ways than I ever could have imagined. But it's funny, I was modeling full time for maybe five years. And I've been now in business for three years and doing film and television for 10 years. And to this day, the introduction is almost always model. Or what is it? How do you love being a model? And it's like, again, I I certainly don't reject that part of my life. I loved a lot of it. Um, But it is funny that sort of the first thing that you do really does define you. I mean, again, my personal biases, my personal outlook, knowing not much about you. Mm -hmm. I thought you were a supermodel. I thought it was supermodel Brooklyn Decker. And it winds up that outside of a couple of Sports Illustrateds, including the cover, yep. you weren't doing runways. Nope. You weren't doing all the things that apparently supermodels do. Never. I never got hired. To the, I have never even allowed to really go out for them. I did at one point, but... When I was modeling, again, this was 2005, and it was the height of sort of the, there was like this Brazilian surge and this Eastern European surge, and it's ridiculous that that even is like a thing in fashion where like, if you're Eastern European, you are the trend of the month. I mean, it just, right. it's so silly, but um, but that's that what, that's what was going on. And so as this sort of like smiley, curvy, blonde American woman from North Carolina, I was really irrelevant. And thank God for Sports Illustrated because they were really the first ones to see me and and hire me and also say like, let's do a video diary where you're on camera. Let's get your profile. Let's find out where you're from. Let's put your your name on the page, which seems so trivial. But at that time, they were the only publication that was actually putting your name on the page. And adding a little bit of personality and story to just They wanted to know who you were. Exactly. And I mean, look, we were were modeling swimsuits, but I think something that goes largely unnoticed is that that issue has always had a female editor and has always been edited fully 100% by women. And so it's kind of like the vision of what's you know, beautiful from a female perspective, and I really think that's special. And again, goes unnoticed. But um, I forgot what the question was. But, but, uh, but yeah, I, I when I was modeling, like Sports Illustrated was the big thing that put my name on the map. But outside of that, I was a catalog model. You know, I didn't get the Victoria's Secret fashion show or any fashion show for that matter. I wasn't shooting with the Stephen Mizells or the Stephen Kleins of the world. I wasn't at that time good enough. They didn't see me as good enough. So and no, I was never a supermodel. How big? Sports Illustrated is absolutely because in my mind you're a supermodel, and I wasn't. But again, that's what <laughs> right. they did. They really wanted the world to know who you were as a person, and no one else at the time was doing that. They didn't. They you were a figment of their imagination. You were supposed to sell the clothing that you know their advertisers were paying to advertise, and there was nothing about you as a person that's changed a lot since then. I think now we're seeing sort of the resurgence of the supermodel, and Vogue does puts models on the cover again and does profiles on models and you see now in most publications the model's name is actually on the page because she's a real human imagine that but when I was working that wasn't the case Sports Illustrated was the only one doing it the argument then and now and not for you now Mm -hmm. why should I care about the life of a model why should you care about the life of the model I don't even think it was at the time caring about the life of the model i think it was like this is a real person okay this is a human on a page and 
again, what's what Sports Illustrated did that people have finally caught on to is they realized that their relationship with these models was actually it was a brand partnership over a series of years. And they, you know, you got on Letterman, you did these things that you wouldn't have otherwise done. And so there was like a you were business part partners in a sense. And, you know, so many women have created lines in Sports Illustrated photographs, those lines on the next generation of models. And they just it's it's a it's a lifelong relationship. And I don't even know if it's about caring who the models are. I think there was just a respect that like you have a business, you are a, in a sense, a businesswoman, like this is your career and we're going to treat you as such instead of so many people at that time were like you are a puppet. So I don't know if I have an answer for why anyone should care, but um, I guess the argument is, and I don't even know that I believe this argument, but the argument is, is that if you've got to remind people that the people you're objectifying are people, <laughs> then then that's problematic. Sure, I mean that's I mean that's a really interesting argument, and I and honestly I too am conflicted because it's exact it's where I came from. Again, it afforded me so many opportunities. There's so many really good things about the industry, and you you talk to seasoned models, and they're incredibly intelligent because they're world travelers. Again, they have businesses. They've had to really be an independent contractor from the age of like 16, which is unhealthy in its own way. But there is something to be said about the lessons learned from that. So, you know, there's all that good. But then at the same time, like, yeah, we're feeding into like the objectification of women. And I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I think the thing that did comfort me, though, specifically with Sports Illustrated is that, again, you know, I said it already, but like it was always edited by a female and cast by a female and she chose the photographers and she chose the wardrobe or lack thereof and and I think there was something I think that's why the women were so comfortable I think that's why the the photos were really edgy um and now, the sleazy stories we hear aren't about Sports Illustrated correct you right. don't you don't hear any of that about Sports Illustrated right. I mean again I, I I certainly don't want to like you know I, I I can't speak for everyone else but I don't think I've heard of one story coming out about a, a Sports Illustrated photographer in this new era and and you know, they were always really protective and again, nurturing of like your professional well-being. And um, but yeah, I mean, I, too, am conflicted. I, I don't know how I feel about it. But you've got to work that much harder because that was our first introduction to you. Yep. That much harder to show me that there's more there than whatever I saw on the cover of Sports Illustrated, even with the explainer inside sure, of Sports sure, Illustrated sure. as to who you were. That introduction on a world stage to us is something that puts you potentially at a disadvantage, despite all the advantages it gave you. I totally agree with you. Okay. I deal with it to this day. Um, I still, again, 10 years on, feel like I'm constantly having to prove myself more than my contemporaries. And my contemporaries would agree with that statement. We've had conversations about it. Um, there's a general skepticism, I think, that exists when you start as a model. And also, it's interesting. I also think people feel freer to um, act as a puppeteer because that's your past. And I think I, whether or not they are conscious of that, I think I've, I have felt that projected, you know, it, it, upon me, I guess. And so that is true. However, mm-hmm. when I got Just Go With It, um, my first film... My well, my first sort of big role in a film. Um, I they cast me before Sports Illustrated came out, before the cover came out. But 
I can't sit here and tell you that having a recognizable name in Sports Illustrated didn't get me that callback with Just Go With It. I can't tell you that that name recognition didn't get me in the door. I can't tell you that producers and studio execs weren't taking meetings with me because they recognized my name. So I can sit here and say that it's set me back or it's created challenges and all of those things are true, but it also opened the door in a way that I don't think I would have had had I not taken that route. Like, I think if I just started acting as, you know, the 18 year old from North Carolina who moved to New York, I don't think I would have, I don't think we'd be sitting here. I don't, I don't think I would have had those opportunities. I don't know that the doors would have been open. So in a way I'm so appreciative of that, but, but yeah, I mean, I, to this day, I'm, you know, working hard to prove that I deserve to be at the table. (laughs) If you were a bad actress, if this app idea was bad, then that story ends there, or you're doing a bunch of reality shows. I mean, yeah, yeah, I so mean, I you, guess, so it, sure. So right. even if those open the doors, right. the yeah. fact that you're here and operating at the level you are. There's maybe something there. I don't know. Gotta there's got to be a little yeah. something. <laughs> Not saying it's great, but there's got to be a little something. it comes with baggage that I mean, you have does. to explain away. It does. Yeah. But, but again, like maybe that's the price I have to pay for like having all those opportunities early on just because of a modeling career you know maybe that's maybe the sort of life or career long you know sense of needing to prove myself is is the price I pay for having these awesome awesome opportunities probably unfairly so because I you know came from modeling and had a little bit of a name but she who sticks her finger in her nose (laughs) knows even then that this is kind of a goofy way to make a living. Yeah. Or you wouldn't have your finger in your nose in Esquire. I, I've, I've never taken it serious. I mean, right. I, I, film and television I, I, I is really so much harder than I ever anticipated, and still to this day is hard for me. And so, and I'm not saying the modeling's easy. That's not my point. There are plenty of challenges with all careers, but, but I think, I don't know, I don't know. I always... Maybe it's because I was rejected so much that I had like a chip on my shoulder and it was like my middle, my way of, my finger up my nose was my middle finger. I don't, I don't know, to the industry. I don't know what that was, but um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think, I don't want, I certainly don't want to discredit the industry because it's, right. it's a huge industry, huge multi-billion dollar industry. But um, I don't know. I always thought I was a little silly. This app thing, finery. Again, I expected it to be a little silly, and I don't know that I expected it to be something that when I read about it, when I read the line, mm-hmm. the elevator pitch, it's like, oh, that makes sense. That That's a really good idea. Thanks. <laughs> like, it made sense after reading the elevator pitch. Thank you. But, again, I hear Brooklyn Decker has an app. Yeah. And it's about fashion. Yep, of course. And... You have you my instinct is to dismiss it. Absolutely, Um, not uncommon, especially for men. Does that make me a bad person? No, I think it makes you a man. I think it makes you a man. And and the reason why I say that is because you know we're raising now, and I think for us raising capital has been one of the biggest challenges. Right. And and I don't want to get on like the sexism. I don't want to do it. I don't want to go there. But I think it's more about pop culture than sexism. My my response. Well, I think it's... I I mean, maybe that's what a man says. Maybe. (laughs) And yes, maybe. But I also... Because you have a different... You're coming at it with context of of who I am. But I think in general, the idea of what we're doing, because it's really meant to lighten the cognitive load for females. And that's something that, generally speaking, most men don't quite understand as far as like how much... 
how much time and mindshare you're spending on just getting dressed every day. I think that it is easier for men to dismiss it because it's not a problem that they're facing in their life. It's not that they don't it's not that because it's a it's a female led product for women that they're dismissing it. It's because it's a problem that they don't necessarily have in their own life. So Although I don't know that that's true because men look at the late Steve Jobs mm-hmm. or even Zuckerberg who wear the same thing every day and envy the ability to wear the same thing every day because it takes the guesswork out of going to the closet every morning and that energy. But I think most men do that, right? They have a limited wardrobe. They sort of do the the capsule collection thing where they That's they true, wear right? the uniform, yeah. right? right? And and it's interesting. Uh, a friend of mine's actually she wrote a book. It's coming out in the fall and it's about it's it's aimed at getting it, she co-wrote it with the founder of Emily's List and it's about getting more women to run for office. Okay. And they did a whole chapter on what to wear. And the reason why is because they talked to a lot of petitions or politicians who were actually elected in California, which is really exciting. And they talked to a lot of them as they were running, and they said, like, what's one of your biggest challenges? And you would think it would have something to do with policy or raising funds or whatever, and a lot of it was getting dressed. And the reason why is because they said, you know, we have so much on our plate. Again, we're trying to change policy here. And we can't go a day without getting a scathing letter or a tweet or an email or whatever it is about our physical appearance, about the fact that there's not enough variety in what we're wearing, about the fact that we look like a bitch. Can I say that on here? Mm-hmm. About the fact that we look like Pollyanna, whatever it is, right. there was so much emphasis that was put on what they were wearing and how they looked. And so for them, that again was a lot of cognitive load, right? And so there's a whole chapter in this book that's like, this is what you do. This is how you address it. And and it's funny because I don't feel like their male counterparts are receiving the same feedback. I don't, I, that's a guess, but I doubt that they're receiving the same f- feedback. Again, Barack Obama had a uniform, Steve Jobs, uniform, Mark Zuckerberg, uniform, and that's accepted. So, you know. And Hillary had a little bit of one, but people went nuts. I mean, think about how much her, uh, how, how, how much, how, yes. Yeah. I mean, her right. appearance was talked about all the time. Right. Did she look smug? Did she look this? Was she trying to look too casual? Was it Can't fake? This. Is she yeah. lying about hot right. sauce? Like, it was, there was so much of that conversation instead of like what her intentions actually were as a, as a politician. Um, it, it just was, I don't know. It's just it's an interesting discussion. I don't I don't I mean, I don't know what's right or wrong or how we change that. But I know for us, when we started Finery, it was like, how do we you know, it's, we, we consider ourselves a tech company in the fashion space that can branch out into several spaces. We started in fashion. Um, but yeah, like, how do we save women time and reduce this cognitive load that they have every day so that they can actually go do things that are important to them that may not have anything to do with what they look like in the Venn diagram? Where does this connect to what Marie Kondo is doing? Because she's asking you to clean out your closet because there's so much stuff you don't use. Yeah. We are big believers in that. Okay. You only wear 20% of your wardrobe. And millennials specifically. So stop buying things. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's the answer, exactly. right? And we don't sell anything on our site. That's right. not to say that we won't. We have to monetize right. eventually. And like, yes, of course we would benefit from selling on our site, right? Like, we know what you ha- We get all your stuff. We know what you have. Like, why not sell to you, right? right? That would be incredible. And frankly, our users are like, yeah, I'm showing you literally all of my e-receipts. Now tell me what the hell to buy. So, right. you know, obviously we can make money off of selling, but our whole thing is shop smarter. If you're going to spend, mm-hmm. buy something. Don't buy a redundancy. I mean, we have so many redundancies in our wardrobes because, again, women only wear 20% of what they have. You forget what you own or you do the event dressing where you're like, ah, I have an interview. I need to get something for it instead of like looking into what you have. And I don't know what informs that behavior. I don't know if it's cultural. I don't know if it's like social media showing us something all the time. Therefore, we feel like we have to consume, consume, consume. But there's a little bit of like what Marie Kondo is doing. There's a little bit of 
I really respect that because, again, for us, millennials, and I'm an old millennial, so I'm not bashing millennials, but millennials will wear an, an item of clothing four to five times. And, like, think about the contribution to waste and everything that that, that that does. And so I'm a big believer in, like, reducing, being smarter about what you have and consume. Like, peel back, you know, you peel back your clothing. Who's making it? What's it made from? Is it dead stock? You know, you should do the same with your tech. You should do the same with your food. Yeah. That was Is a long, that was a really long answer. Is it artificial intelligence that tells... I mean, is this artificial intelligence that connects that skirt to that jacket and knows that they go together? How, how does is. that part work? I I'm mean, curious. early, early, early stages of it, but okay. it is. And basically what we're doing is we had our users come in. We have, I, I don't want to get it wrong, but I believe it's half a billion items, right? Not SKUs. There's a finite amount of SKUs, but items in there. And so we have all these items. And so what we start to do is disregarding pattern recognition we're using ml and applying that to all of these items and you can log in and click on a pair of again it looks like a shopping site but it's actually your wardrobe click on a pair of your black jeans hit style me and we give you a look with your item now the look doesn't include all of your items and includes sort of basics that women generally have for example a pair of jeans a pair of black flats a black blazer like just sort of staples that are Again, not everyone has, but it's sort of like a general, not style specific piece. And we style that with what you have. So as more people use it and as more as the model gets better and more people are training it, that will get more specific and we will be putting together really incredible pattern matching or whatever looks. But right now it's it's a pretty basic approach to styling. But yeah, I mean, it's it's there's no human touch. It's all algorithmic. It's it's all machine learning based on all the data that we have. Take your name recognition out of it two women running a company about women, is there more or less resistance Silicon Valley-wise than you thought there'd be? More. More? More. It's interesting. We've met with every retailer under the sun, and they see this as the answer to all their problems, right? Because for them to be able to say, oh my goodness, your user who shops at Nordstrom, you can tell me based on what she has, what she'll like, right? And I can sell that to her. And our user is saying, this is solving all my problems because you're telling me what the weather is before I get dressed, which is the number one factor when getting dressed. You're telling me when I can return, you know, uh, online retailers make the return windows intentionally confusing so that you miss a return window. We send you a push notification and let you know when it's time to return something. So we're really an advocate for the consumer. So we're sitting here and we're like, we're not only a solution for the user, we're a solution for the retailer. And we all know retail struggling right now. And Silicon Valley still has a really hard time recognizing that. Or they see the potential, but because we aren't Think about just patterns and think about when entrepreneurs go in to raise money, they walk into a VC, they have a certain look, right? They're typically male, they're typically a college dropout, they might have a hoodie and jeans, they might have their Patagonia vest, they probably right. have a Patagonia vest on wearing a pair of Allbirds. There's like a very clear pattern, right, of, of successful entrepreneurs. And then my business partner and I walk in, I'm a first time entrepreneur, she is not, but we're both new technical founders, looking like you know, wearing fashionable, we both like clothing, wearing the atypical uniform for an entrepreneur. It's the first time they've met a woman. First time they've ever met a female. <laughs> and it's, 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 I think in it's- In real life, they're video games. Exactly, right, 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 right. But in real life, the first right. woman to ever walk in. No, but it's, it, I think there's this, I don't recognize that as successful, so I'm hesitant to invest. And again, I think that's all subconscious. I don't think that people are intentionally saying like, I'm going to, 
not give this a chance because they're women or I don't understand fashion so I'm not going to invest in it. I don't think that's what it is. I genuinely believe that there is not a pattern recognition when we walk into the room. I click through and you're not all over the homepage. I'm not on the homepage at all. Right. That's a conscious decision too because of sexists like me who say <laughs> Brooklyn Decker's app can't be very good because she's a model. I hope you know I did not do not believe that you're a sexist. I, I just think I'm there's just... inherent gender bias <laughs> no, that I have against what I, you know no. like it's just a natural But, but that was a conscious thing. thing. Um it, it actually wasn't. It actually it actually wasn't a conscious thing. We just that's funny you say that. It, it wasn't a conscious thing. I mean, I, I talk about it all the time. I talk about Finery and, 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 and where we're at in the company. I'm just candid about what's happening with what we're doing. Um, but as far as me being on the site, yeah, we, I didn't, we never even thought about it. The difference, even from 2010, 11, the height of the modeling days, the difference between then and now is social media, is the amount of social media. And again, you're candid there. Mm-hmm. That's by design or that's who you are? Both. I mean, it's, it's, I have no strategy when it comes to my social media. And it's funny, for as candid and, and it's the only way I know how to be. I'm just a pretty raw person where it's like, this is my experience. And if it's humiliating and funny, the, I think that's more, I think that's better. I, I find that more interesting. Um, and so I tend to share those things. But it's funny, like, I'll go two weeks without posting anything. Like, for someone who is, I, you know, it's funny, I get a lot of feedback about my social media when I'm out and about. I feel like people talk about that more than they talk about anything else that I do. But I don't, compared to, I think, most people in my position, most people who have a show to promote or who are a quote-unquote influence or whatever that is, I think that I actually am breaking all the rules because I, I don't post regularly. I can go a month without doing it. I can go whatever. Um, I tend to post when I'm like not with my kids and I'm, you can tell when I'm, I'm really bored and lonely because I'm posting a lot, right. you know? Um, but I, I, there's no strategy. I just, I, it's it's just, I, but you've embraced I don't know. it as a platform to say some things that even if it's just you without makeup is saying something or my body's different because I've had children. Right. Those are things that you've done there. Yeah. Yeah. That somebody more less candid and more conscious of sustaining whatever myth we have in our head about the model Brooklyn Decker right. which is an outdated concept sure wouldn't be doing you know my relationship with social media is interesting because it came out well Twitter for me, I started in 2009, and I believe it came Twitter launched in 08 or something. Right. So I was an earlier adopter. And for me, remember what I said about the Sports Illustrated being the only thing that like put your name on the page. Right. I was was engaged to my husband, who was high pro is high profile, whatever high profile person. And at that time, I felt like the perception of me was what you saw on a page. And I was so excited. I feel like such a, I, I am me as myself. I feel like I am a polar opposite of what you see on a page, you know, of like the the glamorized version of myself. Right. And it's fun to be that. It's great to be that and play pretend, but it's not at all representative of who I am. And so when social media came out, I thought it was such a gift to be able to say whatever the hell I wanted to say. And people could think whatever they wanted to think. Like I loved the ability to actually speak, which sounds insane, but as a model, you can't speak. 
quite literally, like it is not your job to speak and your opinion is not wanted and not valued. And so for me, it was so freeing to just be totally me and who I was. And I've continued to just have that approach. And just, again, there is no strategy. When I feel like saying something, I'll say something. And I just, I think it's such a gift to be able to like, again, like what you see on screen, it's made up, it's well lit. It's literally someone else's words that you are saying. And it's so nice to be able to just speak your own damn words. All right, here's my cheap shrink couch. Oh dear. Version of that that just popped into my head. Okay. If you didn't believe that you were that glamorous model and were essentially playing a role, is that why you're good at this acting thing? Because you've been acting the whole time, professionally. I, I think all models are acting. I think I think when you talk to most models, they'll surprise you. I think all of all models are acting in a sense. And I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I did work really hard and I do. I study really hard to be better at my job, uh, to be a better actor. And, and you but know, modeling could have been your first acting gig. I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I was playing pretend for sure. For right. sure. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, I'm just a really curious person and I really like to play. And I think those two things, for most actors, if you talk to them, I think those two things are at the root of what they do. Maybe they're very serious actors. I mean, there are very serious actors. I don't work with them. but um, You do, though. You work with some of the most serious actors of our time. But they're not serious people. Okay. They just want to play. They just want to play. And, and every single one of them... I guess if them, Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda didn't want to just play, they wouldn't be there because... Exactly. They're in an age where they don't need to do this. It, it, that's exactly right. And I okay. think if you talk to most of, if you talk to every cast member on our show, they all feel like they've won the lottery by being there to this day. With as accomplished as they are, they all feel that way. So I think there's a sense of like curiosity, the need to explore, and just to play. Was there some imposter syndrome in your head? Every, every, uh, every, so every still is. single day. Showing up on that set. Every single okay. day. Every single day. It's the point where I probably need to go to therapy to talk through it because it is, <laughs> it can be at times crippling. Yeah. Yeah. How does that manifest? I get, I'm, I'm pretty serious on, for as much as I just talked about loving to play, I'm actually pretty quiet. As you can tell, I talk a ton and I don't shut up and I'm actually really quiet on set and I try to observe. I think in part because I'm intentionally trying to soak up as much as I can from these people. Um, but also because I, you know, I think there's still a sense of like, I feel like I don't belong. Part of me really likes that feeling, and that's why I live in Austin, and I don't live in Los Angeles or New York. You know, I, I like that feeling of, I like the outsider feeling and, like, making kind of a renegade decision. And But, I mean, at the same time, it's also, like, it can really crush your confidence. And as an actor, my God, if you're not confident, it shows up. And I think sometimes it has shown up on screen. And some of my lesser performances are when I was feeling self-conscious. And some of my better performances are, are when I really felt free to just experiment and play around. Um, but, but to yeah. be clear, you're better at this now yeah. Four seasons in, then Absolutely. you were two seasons in, Absolutely. then you were one season. And I think that's every performer. I think you learn something along the way. I think you get freer with every job. I think, I don't Not know. Not necessarily people get comfortable and bored. Maybe. And you can see that. Maybe. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You're right. And you're right. I, I think at that point, though, like you're doing the wrong thing, right? I think if it doesn't scare you or there aren't some stakes, you're probably doing the wrong thing. But for but me, the stakes are high. if they're writing you a check to do the wrong thing, people do the wrong thing. <sighs> yeah. I mean. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, how can you have our job and sit there and not 
pinch yourself. I'm not literally, you know what I mean, though. Right. Like, not to be a total cliche, but how can you sit there and be like, I'm bored? Right. I just, I can't, I just, I, it's like the dream of so many, and you're winning the lottery by being on screen. I just, I don't know, I can't imagine that. What was the conversation like, I'm guessing, more than 10 years ago with your husband about m- moving here, following him here? So... <laughs> The conversation happened the first time we ever communicated on the telephone. Okay. So he and I talked on the phone for a few weeks before we met in person. And the very first phone call we had where we were just saying like, hi, it's so nice to meet you. What's your deal? You know, he said, just so you know, I'm never leaving Austin. As if like we were committing to each other and planning our life ahead and like saying like, let's figure out where we're going to live together. Literally the first conversation. Just so you know, I'm never leaving Austin. And I, I was sort of thrown. I'm like, okay, cool. I, I don't want, I don't know you. That's great. And and then things got more serious. And remember, I grew up in North Carolina, and so I was used to a different pace. I was used to a different sensibility. I missed trees, and driving a car, living in New York. It's funny. I love New York so much more not living there. You know, yeah. now there's such an appreciation for it. But at that time, I couldn't wait to just find something different. And I was also I had just before we met, I had gotten my first pilot for NBC that did not get picked up, but I was starting to work more in Los Angeles. I was going cross country and I came to Austin early in the days of dating. And from day one, it was home. I just completely fell in love with it. It, it like answered every question I had. It like, I felt a little brokenhearted from New York and probably the industry I was in. And then I got to Austin, it was like I saw everything so clearly. And so that was 12 years ago, the first time I came and I became a Texas resident 10 years ago. Is it a detriment career-wise? I mean, is it a sacrifice career-wise? 100%, yeah. You, you know it is. Absolutely. That if you were in New York or LA, I would be much there'd more be more opportunity. Absolutely, yep. But you have to ask yourself, like, what's the price you're willing to pay, you know? And for me, I just home isn't for me Los Angeles is not home and New York is not home. I can love both places and love working in both places, but it's not home and so you have to say like is the sort of compromising your mental and emotional well-being worth advancing your career and for a lot of people it is. And sure, sometimes I'm like, gosh, if I live there full time, I probably would see more opportunities and I would be on people's minds more and be brought in for more conversations and more auditions and um but I, I'm, I'm really happy with the balance I have now. But I mean, it does come at the cost of like, I have to be hypermobile. You know, I'll fly back and forth for an hour meeting if I have to. And that's the price I pay. And for me, that's worth it. We're actually well positioned for that, though. Exactly. We're right in the in, middle. Absolutely. Does having children here in Texas actually end up rooting you more? Absolutely. Meaning that the decision to eventually leave now that they're here and you're raising them in this place, that keeps you here. Absolutely. I mean, once you have kids, it's like, how do we create the most stable environment possible for them? So much so that we've been traveling so much. My family's actually in Charlotte, and so we actually started spending a little bit more time in Charlotte to have them with my parents, just because we wanted there to be some stability. Not that sort of goes against it, because we're going back and forth, but but it's, it's not New York, LA, Austin, you know, it's family in both areas. And so, yeah, I mean, at this point, as much of my career is a massive part of my life and a huge passion of mine and something I deeply care for and can will continue to work for forever, I imagine. When you have kids, that's number one. This sort of chaotic back and forth and 
two different businesses, you like that. I feel like this really is a therapy session. And I've actually never <laughs> been to therapy. So it's a little, it's interesting. Um, do I like it? I like chaos. I do. I like chaos. I think I've always been on a plane. I I mean, not always. I, my life growing up was totally different. But um, yeah, I, en- I enjoy the chaos. I know it's not sustainable. But for now, it's okay. And we'll see. Like I've said to all my friends recently as we're talking about, like, what's next? What do you do? You know, and because, you know, we're in season six of Grace and Frankie. And, like, could this be the last season? Could we do another one? We don't. We just don't know. So we start thinking about what's next. And I, for the first time in my life, have no idea what next year is going to look like. I have no idea where I'll be. I have no idea what I'll be doing, if I'll be employed at all. I have I have no idea what the next year is going to look like. You keep setting me up for these therapy questions. <laughs> okay, if don't don't put that on me, t- Mister. TV on. TV show goes away. Yep. App does better than it's doing now. Mm-hmm. Could you be happy not being a public figure? I could be happy not being a public figure. Like, would you have to do another TV show? I think to those- be happy. Here's the thing. I don't need to be a public figure. That's why I live in Austin, Texas. If I wanted to be a bigger public figure, I could be a bigger public figure. I could go to the opening of an envelope in Los Angeles or live in New York and do everything and go on every show and do everything that I am able to do, right? I am fortunate enough to be offered these things. I would I would do it if I wanted to be a bigger public. You could have a reality I could, show. I could be a bigger public figure right. if I wanted to. That's not the goal. But when you say not do a TV show, it's not the TV show that I would miss. It is this like creative so it's the acting you would miss i mean i don't want to say be like i love i am an actor because i <laughs> listen to people who i idolize in the business talk about their process and the art and it like makes me want to vomit because the, the day we're all playing and we're so lucky to be where we are right so i i certainly don't want to say that but there's definitely i crave a creative outlet and and maybe that doesn't have to be acting though i've never i've never done anything creatively outside of that so when you say don't have a TV show, yeah, I don't think I'd have to have a TV show, but I'd probably be doing like local theater or something. I think in, on some level I would want to be doing something creative. And again, maybe that's not acting. I don't know. Maybe that comes in another form. I just don't know what that is. Did you learn anything watching your husband retire? Just that I could take myself? Like, yeah. Uh, no. I mean, that's a pretty big life change you yeah, were a part of. Absolutely. Um, no, you know, he he's very black and white. And he decided the morning he announced his retirement that he was going to retire. There was no discussion prior. I mean, we discussed it that day, but it wasn't like something he had been chewing on for six months that he had talked about with his family and with his coaches. It just he woke up and knew that that was the day. And it happened to be his 30th birthday, which is I was like, are you sure this isn't like a pre like a quarter life? Are we sure? But um I think for him, he's just so good at he turned it off. And I think we were all really worried about what that transition would look like for him. And he did it so beautifully and naturally to the point where I think what I realized is the last two years of his career, he was really he would get an injury and they would say, you need to take four weeks and he wouldn't do it. He would take two weeks. He'd push it. He was pushing, pushing, pushing constantly. And it made his behavior erratic, and he was definitely, like, he took the losses, they were harder to take, and the injuries were harder to recovery to, to recover from. And I think 
what I realized when he retired was that the reason why he was able to make that decision in one day is because he had been deciding to retire for two years, even though there weren't conversations about it and, and there wasn't a lot of dialogue back and forth. Like in his, again, I don't think consciously, but I think he was seeing the end of his career. And I think if there's any lesson to be learned, he was so happy he went out on top. You know, he sees a lot of his friends who are still playing, who are, I mean, when did he retire? Six years ago who are still playing and injured and they're slipping down the rankings and they're not going to go out on top. They're not going to go out how they want to go out. And he's, and that makes him sad, you know, and, and, and he's so happy he went out the way he did. So I guess if there's anything to be learned, it's like, go out on your own terms. This won't air on International Women's Day, which it is. It is. But Hollywood, modeling, tech, all have some sketchy women's issues associated with <laughs> what them. business doesn't that's what i want to know well, is these, there a business i, I guess that those doesn't... three have some pretty high profile they ones. do they do yeah um the reckoning was coming yeah yeah it was um and it's not over right um it was and I, there's still resistance which is really interesting to me i don't really know what that is um but yeah, he was coming and there's there's so many more stories that haven't been told and that probably will be told. I will say though, something interesting about modeling there it's disgusting in a lot of ways and 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 people behaved disgustingly in a lot of ways, but it was actually it is actually one of the only businesses where women make significantly more money than men and have significantly more opportunity than men and actually like have more power which is really funny i don't think fashion actually gets credit for that it's just one of the few industries where while men are still sort of running the big brands and ultimately that's where the money is it's like advertising and that runs the magazines and therefore runs the fashion editors and the photo shoots still like these editors and outside of the photographers and the models they are female and they are running that industry so but just to play devil's advocate there's only a handful do. of models whose names we know. Sure. There's yeah. significantly yeah. more of them that haven't turned this into an empire. But tell me the men that you know. Tell me a male model well, right. that you know, right? But I guess what I'm saying is there's also women who whose stories aren't told even All if time. All the time. even if they're in a field that absolutely might be more more of a fair playing field than maybe we thought. Absolutely. And I think the biggest problem there are several. I think the biggest problem with that industry is that it's not regulated and that you mm. look at like film and television and we have Screen Actors Guild. There's a union to protect children. There are, I mean, now they're making them. I, I think the EU has it so that you have to be 17 or certain BMI or whatever to walk a runway. I actually don't even know what it is. I should know that. I don't. But, um, you know, you can go to New... I was, I was 16 the first time I went to New York. And I, by far, was not the youngest model in our model apartment, which is, that's a model. We can talk about that another day. But but <laughs> they, these are children traveling internationally, modeling alone with adults, doing things that are questionable. And there's no ramification for it. There's no accountability. You're not getting paid for a lot of what you do. So you're, that's illegal, right? You're working, you're not getting paid. There's a, there's a lot that needs to be changed in that industry. I could keep going on these tangents. I'm so sorry. Well, no, um, but things are... But yeah. Are things changing or do we just know more things? I think we just know more things. Okay. 
I think we know more. And to this day, people still don't believe everything. So that's in itself a huge issue. But I don't really see, and again, I'm not in that industry, so firsthand I don't know, but I don't think that things are, are, are changing at a pace that I feel happy with, that I'm satisfied with, or that anyone should be satisfied with. Um, but I, th- I do think we know more, and I think that leads to change. So I, I, do, I don't want to discredit like all the work that's been done over the last couple of years. I think we're on the right track. But I think to claim victory this early would be detrimental to the cause, you know? This Texas Film Awards thing is, well, I guess you didn't win a legacy award. <laughs> no, I won the Rising Star Award at You won 31. the Rising Star 31. Award. 31, thank you very much. So it doesn't raise the legacy issues that much. some of those other awards do. Right. But I imagine there was a film reel. Oh, there was a whole montage. It was a slow motion And montage. looking at that, what were you thinking? Oh, man. I... <sighs> I looked, I, when I watched it, I just was like, look at how young I was. Meaning, like, I have so much more power now. Not as, not as like, an actor or a name as a woman who's 31 years old. I have so much more power in my decision-making now. And I didn't then. And I might have chosen differently. You know, like, I, that's what I felt. But I also felt, that's pretty cool. Like, gosh, this girl from North Carolina got to be on a movie screen, even if it was one, one time. Like, that's a pretty cool thing. You know, my my family, they all have very quote-unquote normal jobs, and they're actually exceptional. They actually save lives for a living. But um, Oh, just that. They say, Literally, my brother's a firefighter. My mom was an ICU nurse, and my dad, yeah. like, programs pacemakers and open-heart surgery. It's incredible. Jeez. He's not a doctor, but, he, you know, he, right. he calls himself a, a white-collar grease monkey, he says. he goes, he, They call him in to, like, program, and then he... He's an engineer. Anyway, point I'll call is, him doctor. Exactly. He's not. But like, because again, that sort of makes my childhood seem much fancier than it was. He's not a doctor. But um, my point is, is like with that sort of background and upbringing to see myself on a screen and then like Linklater's in the room and Mike Judge is in the room and Kathy Bates presented John Lee Hancock with an award and he's in the room. I felt incredibly undeserving. And I was kind of laughing because again, I'm 31 years old receiving the Rising Star Award. But but I, I was I was kind of excited about it. I thought it was pretty cool. So a little bit of imposter syndrome, a little bit of excitement. Yeah. And also a little bit of like, I'm so happy that I feel like a woman now. And when I looked at the reel, I feel like a kid in a lot of that. And, and I don't know. I just really noticed, I noticed a sort of change, a shift going from like, you know, 22 year old first movie to 31 year old who can make, who will make different decisions and have two children. And I don't know. It's, it was, it was just, I don't know. I looked inward a little bit, I guess. Because of, the cultural moment that it was in the magazine industry at that time, in our cultural zeitgeist at the time, probably more people saw that cover of Sports Illustrated than will see you in any of these other things, yet the more powerful woman is the one now than the one posing on the cover of Sports Illustrated. That's kind of crazy. Well, I think that just comes with age. Yeah. Right? I think that's just... That comes with life experience and age, and 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 again, that's certainly not to. I mean, how, you know, when I was when I first started modeling with Sports Illustrated, my dream was just to be on the cover, and then that happened. And so now, when I bash the modeling world, I definitely again don't ever want to make it seem like I was un, I am unappreciative of what that brought me, or even the people I worked with, or the experiences I had, or again that they put me on the map. Right. Period. They launched my career. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, it is. And, and by the way, like, I'm so proud of that cover. I had a huge smile on my face. Like, there weren't a lot of smiling covers. I was like, this feels, I didn't have a shirt on. I was fully topless, but I don't but know. But you broke around with the smile. I, but I had a smile, you know? I don't, I don't know. I, 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 it was just a great phase of my life. And I'm so much happier with who I am now as a person. But I, I don't discredit that time in my life for being incredible. I loved it. At that moment, it was the 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 peak. You know, it was like the best thing that had ever happened to me. All right, so we'll end with this. Forty-eight hours ago, I knew who Brooklyn Decker was. I don't know a whole lot, but I I know as much as I know about all kinds of people. Sure. Ideally, you'd like people to think what when they hear that name. <laughs> That I'm smart, I think. I have such an insecurity about it because I didn't go to college and I started as a model. I just, I hate when people think otherwise. But at the same time, I've always benefited from low expectations. Always. Because I'm like, keep that bar low. Because even if I'm right. mediocre, I'm exceeding your expectations. So I don't know. I mean, it's definitely an insecurity of mine. I, I want people to think that I'm competent just as a human competent as a guest <laughs> thank you very much thanks for this lovely therapy session <laughs> i feel you. like i might go pay a therapist a lot of money because this was so lovely and cathartic <laughs> thank you thank you you'll find all five seasons of grace and frankie on netflix and you'll find finery at finery.com our thanks again to Texas A&M University. Learn more about a fearless drive to make a difference in the world at fearlessfront.com. Meanwhile, you'll also find our April issue at texasmonthly.com, which includes our cover story on outspoken congressman Will Hurd. We'd love it if you'd consider subscribing to our show, leaving a comment, or rating it wherever you found us, and maybe even telling a friend. I'm Andy Lang. Working with producer Ryan Standifer. Thanks for being here, and thanks in advance for coming back next week.